Sometimes when you come to a All right. Well, sometimes when you come to a passage, you, you need to clean out some stuff that's in front of it. If you picture like a storage closet, so sometimes you need to move some boxes and you need to move some stuff. And frankly, you need to throw some things away to be able to get to the real gem that you're looking for. And this passage that we're looking at as we go through the book of Philippians, this is one of those where there's a few big, scary boxes in this, in this passage. Now, one of the challenges of reading a, a whole book like we're doing is you can't avoid these passages. <laughs> you just deal with them. So we're going to deal with this one today. And as we begin this morning, we're going to start with a, a scary reading of this passage, uh, one that I would argue was never meant and carries no likeness to God or God's ways. And it has to do with these words, fear and trembling. You all ever hear pastors who love to use those words at or around you? These words have been heralded to mean uh, that we need to stay in line, right? Worship God with fear and trembling means like watch your step, behave. This idea of working out your salvation is said with fear that if you don't do it right, or if you dare not fear as you do it, you risk missing, missing out on everything. Often fear and trembling in hell all come up at the same time. So we're to be quiet. We're to be grateful. We're to be afraid. Very afraid. Right? Often it's said like this by a man in my position. It's usually a white dude who doesn't want to be questioned. It's not always white. It's almost always a dude. And always they don't want to be questioned. They don't want anybody in the church to raise a challenge to what it is that we're saying. And they want loyalty to them. And I'll tell you, that would be nice. It'd be easy. It would be easier to just say, hey, you don't ever get to disagree with me. Be loyal to me. It's just I don't find it in the Bible, and I'm not even loyal to my own thoughts, so you shouldn't be. It's, it's somebody who wants you to believe what they say, but they don't want you to think through the implications of what they say and what that means for their life. I want you to have fear and trembling before a scary God and before a scary pastor. And frankly, because it's beneficial for the pastor, because you can't question a scary one. You can't disagree with a scary one. He might have you kicked out. He might mock you. Might even use you as a sermon illustration next week. An illustration of someone who did not have fear and trembling. I've heard from people and even cried with people who were made to stand up and then their stuff was aired before everybody else. And like live in fear and trembling or that will happen to you. That is not what this passage is talking about. And pastoral leadership in this church will never work like that. If, if something weird happens to my head and next week I start to do that, you've got a leadership team here who will pull me aside and will be like, Matt, we don't do this. You're not that important. Right, Wayne is cutting my throat right now. <laughs> but for real, I want you to know, because some of us come, that's part of the trembling that's in us. 
is we've been in environments like that. We've got a pastoral staff that's not going to let me do that or let Pastor Cat or Pastor Rob do that. We've got a leadership team in place to hold us accountable so we're never saying, hey, live loyal to us. No, we live loyal to Jesus. And frankly, not even our understanding of Jesus. We live loyal to who Jesus really is and are willing to shed some things that don't belong. But on this fear and trembling, that, that's enough about the pastor. How about this God? If this is true that we're just supposed to be terrified, then that God is a bit of a curmudgeon. It's kind of a cranky old guy who sits at Cracker Barrel all the time. <laughs> is that how you see God? It might be. I would invite you to think differently. <laughs> What's that? In the rockers, yeah. The one who judges you for drinking too much coffee or not enough. This is the God who makes you stay in line. Or a distant, disapproving God, ready and waiting for your failure. Almost disappointed when you live a day well and salivating when you fail to just punish you again. This doesn't seem to line up with what Paul is saying, and in my lifetime, this doesn't match what I've experienced of God. In fact, the very next thing that we hear Paul say is God works in you to will and act in order to fulfill God's purpose. If God's working within you, I highly doubt that God is this distant entity. If God is working within you, I highly doubt that he wants to live you, make you live terrified of God, because then that would be really mean. He would be in you, and you'd be terrified of the thing in you, and that, would, that just leads to a whole bunch of stuff, right? So there must be another telling to what fear and trembling means besides be quiet, don't ask, and be afraid. And this really, really matters. So a, a week ago, my, my cousin was, was killed in a car accident. Not even really a car accident. Someone was running from the police and at 95 miles an hour hit my cousin and actually and his wife. And his wife died and my cousin is in the hospital. And has been all a week. One of these tragic stories. It's a lead story in Minneapolis. And my family has been dealing with these teachings. I talked to my, just to give you an example, I talked to my mom just yesterday or the day before where she was like, Matt, we were told like you just stuff these real life things. You just stuff it and go praise God because that's your job. And I don't know how to stuff it. And my mom is a little bit older than me because that's the way that life works. I don't want us to have to wait to that age to start to stop stuffing it. We can ask these questions now. So this fear and trembling. What if these words had more to do with how we respond when we're faced with challenges and obstacles than they have to do with being terrified of who God is? What if that's what Paul is saying? We can disagree on it. We can wrestle about it later. But just hear me out here. Here's some of the obstacles that are faced, if you remember, as we've been studying this letter to the Philippian church. Paul's in prison. Paul assumes, and the people assume, he's going to be killed. The church has their own opponents. They're facing violence. They're facing other teachings. They are not popular. They're not liked. 
There's a whole bunch of obstacles that they're facing. These are the real-life situations that they find themselves in. And then there is their faith. Real questions of, is this the will of God? Is God guiding Paul as Paul's in prison? Is God guiding us as we have people who don't like us? I thought when I was younger that if I loved God well, everyone would love me. I don't know where I got that. It hasn't happened yet. Probably either the loving God well or the people loving me. The people had to be asking this real question of faith. Do we keep going in this direction or are we wrong or off? These are real questions. With feet planted in our real lives, holding on to the real faith, lead to fear and trembling. I want to say that again. Fear and trembling in our lives, what that looks like, is your feet are planted in your real life, in your real circumstances, in the mountains that we just sang about, in the obstacles you face, and your hands are holding tight to the faith that you understand, that you want to know this, this Jesus. Both are happening, and it happens as fear and trembling. Now, there are alternatives to this. I, I wouldn't call them actual Christianity, but, but you could choose them. We could let go of our real life. Anybody been around people who are like, I'm going to pretend my real life isn't real life? We could do that. We could just ask our faith to work like helium and lift us. We could act as if we are already in heaven as our world collapses around us. We could do that. We could try that. You actually be, begin to disintegrate your own self. Your faith starts to do all kinds of damage to your psyche and your mind and your soul and all that. But you could do that. You could ignore your reality or like my mom said, you could try to stuff it and just go on deeper and deeper faith. Usually that means you end up trying to learn more new things, acquire more knowledge while ignoring the reality that your feet are set in. More and more people have tried that and are left disappointed, are left wanting. Or you could do what a lot of people are doing right now. You could choose the many who are letting go of faith altogether because they want to be honest about their real life and they don't know how to do both. They want to be honest about what their feet are set on, even about the way that the church has impacted people and the way that understanding of Jesus has impacted people. They want to be honest about the, the mental issues they face. They want to be honest about what their family has faced, the obstacles, the systemic things, the personal things, all of this, and they can't imagine how to be honest about that and hold on to faith, so they let go of faith. And they say, well, I'm just going to, I like the idea of Jesus, but I'm going to choose to be honest about where my feet are, and their faith drifts further and further away. But this fear and trembling today, in 2023, I believe that it looks like we live holding tightly to the faith that we know. But we consider that some of the things we know need to be changed and need to be let go of. And we take a hold of new things and, and get a pure and pure understanding of Jesus. Not because of this church, but because of the experiences we're having, because of the wisdom of God throughout all time. We, we seek God to hold tightly to faith. And at the same time, we live with our feet planted firmly in the soil of the not yet kingdom of God among us. And this is painful work. 
Look at our community alone, the, the health challenges, the, the housing challenges, the work challenges, all the stuff that we face, and yet we're choosing, no, I believe that I believe that God cares about the world that we live in, so I'm going to keep my, plant, my feet planted here, and I'm going to hold on to faith, trusting that there's something that comes of this, something different that comes of this. And it leads to us living with fatigued fingers and forearms, believing there must be something more. That's fear and trembling. That's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you're in this place where your feet are tired and your hands are aching, let me remind you of what Paul says next. He says that it is God who works in you. You're not doing this alone. You're not doing this on your strength alone. It might feel like it. You might not be able to see God. But I trust and believe that this is God at work in you. And I'll tell you, my seat might be easier than yours because I can often see God at work in you in ways that you don't recognize because you live every day in your skin. God is at work in you. Paul gives another metaphor, but we need to go back in the past to grasp it. Back to the time when the Israelites had lived for generations as slaves. And then this deliverance comes, right? I'm I'm skipping a bunch of things. We, We can cover that together another time. But for generations they lived as slaves, and then deliverance comes, and Moses drops a staff, and the water parts. An entire nation of people walk across See, every time I say this, I'm like, I don't know what that was like. I'm fascinated by this whole thing. But it happens. But, and then the text records that their enemies, the others who were blamed with everything that was bad in their lives, were swept into the water. Now, that's a really dark story. But the people who were blamed with everything that was wrong and bad and hard about their life were swept away. They're gone. And they come to rest in this new land. It's not the promised land yet. It's the wilderness. And they go to the wilderness, and as the, wherever they go, they follow the cloud by day, the fire by night. And as to what they eat, it's like one of those misfit food boxes just appears outside of their house every morning with the ingredients for the day, and they go make their meal every day. And every day there's a new box delivered. Oh, okay. I guess it's manna today. And they make their manna to eat. They used to make it a bunch of bricks every day, but they don't have bricks to make anymore, so they probably like invented cribbage or something. And they just learned to play and learned to rest and all this kind of stuff. But now that life had slowed down for the Israelites, they began having a lot of time on their hands. And like us, they probably like were ex- amazingly tired at first. And for the first month, they kept falling asleep reading a book and hitting their head with a book and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually, they probably started to panic because they don't know how to relax. And they're trying to relax, but they're thinking about work, but they don't have a job. And so, like, all this kind of stuff is probably hitting because they're human and they're like us. But they end up missing where they were. They got sick of manna. They got sick of not knowing where they were headed. And so they, they missed the good old days when they were in slavery. That sounds strange, right? The good old days when you didn't have a name or an identity, you were just what you made. They missed these good old days, and they actually wanted to go back. 
they started complaining that, you know, if we were going to die, why don't we just die as slaves instead of in this place? And it got to the extent that it turns into what Lisa Colin DeLay calls debilitating nostalgia. They were so nostalgic about the past that they didn't see it accurately, and it was actually crippling for them in this day. They couldn't function anymore. They wondered why they weren't back being slaves, and they started to let go of their faith because of where their feet were planted. The faith that they had held made no sense, and so they let go. They longed for the days of the past, even remembering it differently than it had happened. And this was a generation that the, the scriptures that we have recorded them as the people who were grumbling and arguing. They are the people who grumbled and argued. They, are the, they were known as a warped and crooked generation for their nostalgia, for their quick release of faith in, in their God and their desire for what they once knew. So when we see this in Philippians, we see those words, right? If the text is in front of you, the grumbling and arguing, this warped and crooked generation, Paul is referring to this time in the wilderness there, where there was real obstacles in front of everyone. And there are questions of, of what they were to do. And, and he refers to that and brings it into the time of the Philippians. And he says, okay, we have these things right here. Do we give up on our faith? Believing that it didn't work how we thought, so we're just done with it. Do we live dishonest, thinking that faith should produce the things that we're not seeing? Do we ignore our reality, or is there another way? Is there a way where we are working with God who is in us and who is working around us? Does holding on to our faith produce anything? In her beautiful book, The Wild Land Within, Lisa Colin DeLay wrote of a time where this exact thing was happening to her. Real-life obstacles made her aware of the brokenness around her and the strain in her hands as she tried to hold onto her faith. It happened when her dad, who was 44, had suffered from a stroke and lived years dependent on help of, of others to function. And she wrote that the God that I was taught about as a child the one who answers yes to faithful prayer warriors, fell to the ground in pieces and shattered like a deaf idol of sandstone. But she wrote this in a book that is intended to help us to know Jesus more. And so that clearly wasn't the end of her story. But what do we do when we are in that place? The poet David Tenson writes these words in in a brief poem I'd like to read for you, if you don't mind. It's called The Wrestle. He writes of God, I found you beyond the why, far from the why not, worlds from the why me. You held a space for me beyond answers to questions my pain had, as if you knew information was never going to heal or resolve or fix my suffering. Instead, you agreed to wrestle through many nights, never letting go, always with me, just like you promised. 
refusing to surrender, I eventually realized that wrestling with God was not a crime. That I was, in fact, being held, being healed, being transformed by finding you beyond answers, being blessed by holding on to you in my doubt and frustration and never letting go. And you never let go. And you overcame me in the end. And we both won. This wrestle, these moments when we're, when we're hanging on, even as our feet are amidst obstacles and circumstances, these moments, they, they have a way uh, that produces something in us. And, and Paul says here that what it produces is in the midst of a warped and crooked generation that we shine like stars. But let's sit on that again. Warped and crooked generation, that gets some eyes twitching, right? Because in our day, we think of this as like morality. We use these words to like punish people who sin differently than us. That's not what this is. The warped and and crooked generation, that was about people who had let go of their faith, right? That was the people who let go of faith. And sure, I'm sure there's some implications in the way that they lived, but it wasn't about the way they lived. They were warped and crooked, not because they were horribly immoral people, but because they let go of the God who had rescued them. And among them were people who were faithful, who then shined like stars. That's the invitation here. Who wandering in darkness doesn't need a little light to guide them? We get to be that. Not that our lives are to be squeaky clean and easy. Not that morality is perfect or our kids are to behave perfect. It's that we're holding on. That's what this is about. That we hold on. And not just hold on for the sake of holding on so at the end of the day we get like a merit badge that says you held on. But because something happens, like Dave Tenson writes in that poem, something happens when we hold on. When we allow our feet to remain and, and we hold on to our faith, we're different. We're changed. Our circumstances change. We understand God differently. It's worth it. And in the midst of that, it's not just for you. But Paul writes, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You hold firmly attached as Jesus invites you to be attached. And you realize that not only are you holding firmly to faith, but Jesus is holding firmly to you. And it's not so much about the strength of your knuckles and your hands and your forearms, but it's really the strength of this Jesus who's endured all. So we don't have to be afraid of where our feet are. We don't have to be afraid of this faith, what we're holding so dear. So as we come to a close, I want to do two things, if that's okay with you all. And first is I want to acknowledge this thing that we read about in Philippians. The letter of Philippi was written to a people who many people, because of the obstacles they were facing, were letting go of their faith. Sound familiar? Sound like our day? To me, it does. 
as I go around and talk to people, it sounds like a reality. It sounds like who we have become as, as we're becoming this church, as we're becoming one. So we're becoming a, a place where people say, hey, I can't hold on to what I once held on to, and I'm trying to hold on still. And Paul gives this powerful imagery. He says, here's who you get to be if you're a people who hold on. You get to be like a light. I'm really gifted at this kind of thing. You get to shine like stars or like a tea candle. You get to shine for everyone else. And so you should have one of these. Hopefully you picked up a candle. And I, I want to I give you something to do here, if you're willing. If you find yourself in a place where you're trying to hold on to faith, or you are holding on to faith, or you want to want to hold on to faith, or you're wrestling your best to do this, then I want to encourage you to light your candle, either off of this one or off of someone else's, because that's the way faith works, right? We, we were inspired. We see the light in one another. And that causes us to shine as well. That causes us to hold on, to stay attached. And if you're not there right now, if you're like, no, I, I don't, I'm letting go of faith right now, but maybe later, then I want to encourage you to keep your candle. Keep your candle for a day where you do have that faith where you do want to hold on, where you can see that. So go ahead and take a couple minutes. Bring your candle forward or light off one another. Just probably breaking a fire code. Mike said I could do it. As we do this, I want to encourage you to look around. This is part of what some of these lights are going out. Don't take that as a sign from God. <laughs> but go ahead and take a look around. This is, what, this is why we gather. To be encouraged by one another. to be inspired by one another. For on those days when it's really hard for me to hold on to that faith or for me to be honest about where my feet are or where it's hard for you, that we could come together and be inspired, reminded, encouraged. That we could shine 
amongst one another, like stars in the sky or like little tea lights in the chapel of St. Philip, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Okay, if you're uncomfortable, you can blow it out and there's not theological implications. The, the last thing is I have a couple questions that are up here. If you feel comfortable, let's even answer them or, or maybe even take a picture of them and, and wrestle with them in, in prayer or in devotion this week. But for you, what makes it hard to hold on? What makes it hard to hold on to your faith? them down. I think people are getting hurt. <laughs> what makes it hard to hold on to your faith? I know for me, one of the hardest things is my faith doesn't look the way it used to. I used to believe some things that I don't believe so much anymore. It just looks different. And so sometimes I wonder is it, it makes it hard. Another question is, which of these is harder for you? Having your feet firmly on the ground or your hands holding the faith? Meaning, is it easier for you to let go of faith altogether and be like, Jesus, I'm distant from you, I'm mad at you, I'm, I'm done? Or is it easier to pretend that circumstances aren't real in your life and kind of have an intellectual faith that's disconnected from your reality? And here, who, who's it harder for your feet to be firmly planted in, in your circumstances? Any of us? And who's it harder for your hands to hold on to faith? These are things worth wrestling with. As we wrestle, God does something. And the last question I would love to hear answers as we're talking is, how can this community encourage you? Because there's going to be moments where, where it gets hard. There's going to be moments where it's challenging to hold on to faith. Or your feet are just tired from the circumstances around you. It's to a church to a people whose feet were firmly planted in reality, and in fact, the circumstances were going to get darker. Very soon, Jesus was going to give his life, and their entire faith was going to be upended, right? It was through that room that he looked at his dear friends, and he took the bread, and he broke the bread. He said, every time you gather together, I want you to take and eat this and remember that this is my, my body, which is broken for you. And then he also took the cup. And after he gave thanks... told his friends that every time you gather together, I want you to remember that this is my blood shed for you. 
for the circumstances that your feet are on, for the faith that your hands are holding tightly. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we pray together? Jesus, you know that when I'm trying to hold tightly, when I'm trying to be faithful, when I'm trying to remain in you, you know that's with fear and trembling. The circumstances around are, are challenging. Stuff doesn't look like how I thought it would look. And yet I know that I know that I know that you are faithful, that you are good. And even more than that, sometimes I know that you're in me and with me. That's not because I'm special. That's true of all of us. So we ask that you would, you would strengthen our hands and give us great courage that we might wrestle. We might know you more. And we might know your kingdom right here amongst us in our situations, in our circumstances, in our city, just like it is in heaven. Thanks for my faithful friends. In your name, amen.